Thank you for being out this evening. It's good to be with you all to worship God together. Thank you for our visitors for taking time to be with us tonight. Uh, and our regular visitors for being with us tonight. We're glad that we're all together tonight. Well, um, several years ago, Nikki and I got into beekeeping. Um, we thought it would be a fun hobby, and it turned out to be a fun but frustrating hobby because it's not very easy to raise bees. And uh, we thought you would just put a box out in the yard, and then when you wanted honey, you'd just go drain a little bit out of it, and you'd have nice honey, and then that'd be it. But it's a lot of work. Ben decided to go down the same road this year, and I gave him all the warning I could, and he still got into it, and he had the same frustrations that we've had. But one thing I told Ben is I said, Ben, if you're going to have bees, you need to have two hives because you want to be able to see a difference. You want to be able to see a healthy hive and a sick hive. You could go and look at a million different pictures of sick hives to try and figure out which one's sick, but if you have one healthy one there, then you can compare your others to that and say, this one's not right because it doesn't line up with this healthy one. It's along those lines, I think, that we need to view doctrines that are being presented by others. We can be presented with a million different doctrines, and we can study up on all of the false doctrines in the world, but there's an easier way to do it. We just need to understand what the Bible teaches. And then anything that gets presented to us, we compare it to the Bible, we'll know whether or not it's true. And so along those lines tonight, I'd like to look at the idea of the rapture. And I want to look at what the Bible teaches about the rapture, because it's often talked about. And you probably have friends that you've talked about that are looking for the rapture. You've probably seen the bumper stickers on cars. In case of the rapture, this car will be unoccupied. What does the Bible teach about the rapture? But to answer that question, I want to first look at what the Bible teaches about the second coming of Christ. And then at the conclusion of our lesson, we'll con consider what, the pe what people are teaching about the rapture with what the pe Bible teaches about the second coming of Christ. And we'll easily be able to determine if the rapture is a scriptural concept or not. So along those lines, let's look at what the Bible teaches us about the second coming of Christ. First off, the Bible tells us the second, that Christ is coming again. Hopefully you can see that black text on your screen. Christ is coming again. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Christ is coming again. He promised that. Now, as we talked about in our sermon this morning, about the fact, the characteristics of God that can be either very terrifying or very comforting. This is a statement from Christ that can be either very terrifying or very comforting. Christ presents it as a statement of comfort to his disciples, that we can be with Christ forever again. You know, a lot of people dread. I'm afraid a lot of Christians dread the second coming of Christ. We should be looking forward to that. That's a thing of comfort. Christ promised us that he would come again for us. And if we're faithful to him, we can be with him forever in heaven. And that's something we should look forward to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a day coming where Christ is going to return over and over again in the scriptures. We read this in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that Joseph read for us. Let's look at it one more time because it's very clear in that passage Christ is coming again. We're going to go into chapter 3 as we read along. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as also as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend with the, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. Jesus is coming again. The scriptures are clear on that fact that Christ is coming again. And when Christ comes, it will be audible and visible. There will be no one who misses Christ coming. It's going to be audible and visible. Everyone will see and hear what happens. In Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, as Jesus is with his disciples before he ascends into heaven, Notice in verse 9 in Acts chapter 1. Now when he had spoken these things, Jesus, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I envision the apostles standing there with their mouths open looking up into heaven. And these men say to them, why are you looking up? He's coming again. He's going to come again. And you're going to see him come in the clouds like he went into heaven. As you saw him go, so you'll see him come again. It's going to be a visible return when he comes. You're going to be able to see it. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus says, behold, or it says in chapter 1, verse 7, behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. He's coming again with the clouds. You'll see him. It's going to be visible. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14 calls this Christ appearing. And you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. It's an appearing. It's a visible thing. You're going to be able to see it. It's not going to be something that's done in secret. It's not going to be something that's invisible. You will be able to see Christ return. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Over and over again, we see that it's going to be a visible return. Not to beat a dead horse, but Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says it again. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious of appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. He will appear a second time. We're going to see Jesus, just like those men said in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. In fact, chapter 1, verse uh, verse 10, actually. Now, not only will we see it, we're going to hear it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15, verse 52. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. You'll see it, and you're going to hear In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. There's going to be a trumpet sounding. The idea of a notification 
Trumpets are sounded in the military for notification. Trumpets are sounded other places for notification. Sounds go off. There's going to be a trumpet sound when Christ returns. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 that we read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's going to be this shout, there's going to be a voice of the archangel, and there's going to be a trumpet. There's going to be sound associated with Christ's return. It's going to be visible, and it's going to be audible. And furthermore, the scriptures tell us there's going to, not going to be any warning about this. We're not going to be able to see things happening that tell us, you know what, I think Christ is coming again. There are people throughout time and religious groups throughout time who've tried to circle a date on the calendar and said it's going to happen at this date. Many others have said, well, it may not know the date, but we know that it's getting pretty close. But the scriptures are very clear that there's not going to be any warning. You're not going to be able to tell, hey, you know, I think it's about time. Notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Christ is going to come as a thief in the night. And there is no thief who's in his right mind that gives you a warning. Have you ever had anything stolen from, from you? Yeah, yeah. I've had things stolen from me in the United States. And I want to tell you, every time that it happened, there was no warning. Thieves don't give you warning. They don't give you an indication. There will be no warning. So Christ is going to come. It's going to be audible and visible, and there will be no warning. And furthermore, it's not going to just be something that happens in Nigeria or the United States. It's going to be the whole world. The whole world will be involved in this. In John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 5, verse 28. John chapter 5, verse 28. For do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. The whole world will be involved. All who are in the graves will come forth. And not just the righteous in the graves, or not just the wicked in the graves, but the righteous and the wicked are going to be raised in the, on that day. In Acts chapter 24, verse 15. In Acts chapter 24, verse 15. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. Paul said there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. One resurrection. And it will be for the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. All are going to be involved in that day. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we see of one day when the righteous and the unrighteous are going to be handled. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. There is going to come a day. When rest is given to the righteous and tribulation is given to the unrighteous, it will involve all the world. And on that day, as we've mentioned, the dead are going to be raised. The dead are going to be raised. This is going to be something that involves both the living and the dead. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
It's going to include both the dead and the living. The dead are going to rise first. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning of verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption. And this mortal put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The dead are going to be raised on that day. In Mark chapter 12, in Mark chapter 12, we have the folks, the Sadducees, who are trying to get Jesus in a trap. And they're trying to use a hypothetical situation to prove their position. A lot of hypothetical uh, situations are tried to use, being used in the world today to prove all kinds of false doctrines and positions. The Sadducees were doing that. It's an age-old trick to try and present some kind of hypothetical question that somehow proves that the Bible is not teaching what it teaches. The old man in the desert that wouldn't be around any water, that proves then we, shouldn't, we don't have to be baptized. No, that doesn't prove anything. The Bible says what it means. And you can't perform any kind of hypothetical question to reason it away. But the hypothetical question by the Sadducees, who say there is no erection, came to him. And they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us, if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring to his first brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying, he left no offspring. And the second took her and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her. They thought they had Jesus where they wanted him, didn't they? You see here, there can't be a resurrection because when she was raised from the dead, if there is a resurrection, she'd have seven husbands. And we know that can't be. So there, you can't have a resurrection. Well, Jesus says, no, you're wrong. He said, you, are, you, are you not therefore mistaken? Because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Jacob, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Jesus says there is a resurrection. And by the way, he proved that there is a resurrection. How did he do that? By the tense of one verb. Did you catch that? I am the God of Abraham. Jesus believed in the inspiration of the Old Testament. He believed it was inspired down to the very word. He's making his argument based on the tense of the word, I am. Jesus said there was going to be a resurrection and the dead are going to be raised. Furthermore, the world is going to be judged on that last day. When the resurrection occurs, the world will be judged. In John chapter 12, verse 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Jesus is going to judge us. And it's not going to be an arbitrary standard. It's not going to be a standard that we don't know. He's given us what we need right here, and this is going to judge us. I used to love open book tests when I was a kid in school. In fact, I got to where I had a class in college that was open book. I quit studying for the test. I said, I've got them all right here. I'll go figure out the answers when I get there. And I did great because they were right there. 
We're going to have an open book test on the day of judgment. It's right here. But we better be studying ahead of time. We need to know what God's going to judge us on. It's right here. Jesus is going to judge us. In John chapter 5, verse 28. John chapter 5, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There is going to be this hour when we're going to be judged. In Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. The text is small there. You may have to follow along in your, in your Bible or just listen. John chapter, Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the glo- uh, holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then he, the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment for the righteous into life eternal. There's going to be a judgment on that day when Christ returns. And another important observation to make is that when Christ returns, death is going to be conquered. There will be no more physical death when Christ returns. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23 beginning. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits after those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. There will be no more death. When Christ returns. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not, not all sleep, but we all shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will raise incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. There will be no more physical death when Christ returns. And the world is going to be destroyed. When Christ returns, the world will be destroyed. First, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. 
For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that was then existed that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. When Christ comes again, the day of the Lord, when he comes again, the earth is going to be destroyed. The heavens and the earth will pass away. And so we have some facts that the scriptures teach us about that day. And there are questions that we don't know all the answers to about the last day. But we know these answers because the scriptures tell us. They tell us that Christ is coming again, that his return is going to be audible and visible. All will see and hear it. There will be no warning. It will involve the whole world. The dead are going to be erased. The world will be judged. Death will be conquered and the world will be destroyed. The scriptures are clear on that. And so now we get to the question at hand. What about the rapture? What about the rapture? Well, the idea of the rapture may be a little bit fuzzy to you because we don't read it expressly mentioned in the Bible. That doesn't necessarily mean it's not a biblical concept, but we don't read the word rapture in the Bible. The word rapture means a feeling of intense pleasure or joy. That's one definition of the word rapture. But that's not the definition of the word that we're talking about tonight. The other definition we're talking about tonight is the idea that Oxford Dictionary calls the transporting of believers to heaven at the second coming of Christ. That word, again, is not found in the Bible. That word comes from a Latin word, uh, which is used in the Vulgate translation, translation of the Bible, which was the Greek to Latin translation of the Bible around 400 A.D. And that word that is translated into the word that we get rapture from comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, where it is translated by most translations as caught up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. So we're going to be caught up together. So to that extent, I do believe that we're going to be caught up together with Christ. But there's a lot of what is not mentioned here in this definition that is, I believe, not in alignment with what the scriptures teach. What do those who hold to the rapture really mean? What do they mean when they teach about the rapture? Well, here's a quote from a well-known preacher, Richard DeHaan. Richard DeHaan says this. One of these days, as sure as this is the word of God, those who have pled with you, who have warned you, who have prayed for you will be missing. The preacher will be gone. Mother will be gone. Wife will be gone, and the baby's crib will be empty. Oh, what an awakening this is going to be. Imagine getting up some morning, and your wife is not there, and you call for her, but there's no answer. You go downstairs, but she's not there. You call upstairs to your daughter asking where her mother is, and there's no answer from her. Your daughter's gone too. Down the street, women are shrieking. Uh, uh, down the street runs a woman shrieking at the top of her voice. Someone has kidnapped my baby. 
And in a moment, the streets are full of people weeping, crying, and howling over the disappearance of loved ones. What has happened? The Lord has come like a thief in the night. He has quietly stolen away those who trust him, like Enoch. And no one is left behind to warn you anymore or pray or show you the way. So someday you're going to wake up, and there are going to be some people that are missing. There are going to be a lot of people here that are crying and running around saying, What happened to my loved ones? My loved ones who were right with God, the preacher who was warning me to get right with God, the lady down the street that was praying for me to get right with God, they're suddenly gone. All the good people are gone, and everyone else is sitting around scratching their head. Because notice what it says. The Lord has come silently. He's silently, quietly stolen away. Does that line up with what we read about the coming of Christ? Doesn't seem to line up, does it? Hal Lindsey, author of the great, late, great planet Earth, said this about what he thought the rapture would be like. There I was, driving down the freeway, and all of a sudden the place went crazy. Cars going in all directions, and not one of them had a driver. I mean, it was wild. I think we've got an invasion from outer space. Everything's fine, and all of a sudden the drivers just disappear from the cars. And nobody really knows what's going on. Maybe it's an invasion from outer space. We don't know, but people just some people just disappear, but not everybody. Wikipedia describes the rapture this way. The rapture is an eschatological position held by some Christians, particularly those of American evangelicalism, consisting of an end-time event when all dead Christian believers will be resurrected and joined with Christians who are still alive together it will rise in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The origin of the term extends from the first epistle to the Thessalonians in the Bible, which uses the Greek word, and in in the Greek word I won't pronounce it here so you don't laugh at me, but it means to snatch away or to seize. This view of eschatology is referred to as dispensational premillennialism, a form of futurism that considers various prophecies in the Bible as remaining unfulfilled and occurring in the future. The idea of, the rapture, of a rapture as it is currently defined is not found in historic Christianity and is a relatively recent doctrine originating from the 1830s. Did you hear that? This doctrine was created around the 1830s. This doctrine is about 1,800 years too young to be biblical. The term is frequently used among fundamentalist theologians in the United States. Rapture has also been used for a mystical union with God or for eternal life in heaven. Differing viewpoints exist about the exact timing of the rapture and whether Christ's return would occur in one event or two. There's a warning flag. Two events? I haven't read about two. Pre-tribulationism distinguishes the rapture from the second coming of Jesus Christ mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, 2 Thessalonians to Revelation. This view holds that the rapture would precede the seven-year tribulation, which would culminate in Christ's second coming and be followed by a thousand-year messianic kingdom. We've talked about that, haven't we? There's no idea that there would be a thousand-year reign here on earth of Christ. This theory grew out of the translations of the Bible that John Newson Darby analyzed in 1833. Pre-tribulationism is the most widely held view among Christians believing in the rapture today. Although this view is disputed within evangelicalism, some assert a post-tribunal rapture. 
Most Christian denominations do not subscribe to rapture theology and have a different interpretation of the aerial gathering described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. They do not use rapture as a specific theological term, nor do they generally subscribe to the premillennial dispensational views associated with its use. All right, so there you have it from Wikipedia. You see some things there that don't align with what we said earlier about the second coming of Christ. And finally... From the Billy Graham Evangelical Association, from their website, here's what they say about the rapture. There are many Christians who believe that the second coming of Jesus Christ will be in two phases. First, he will come for believers, both living and dead, in the rapture. In this view, the rapture, which is the transformation and catching up of all Christians dead or alive to meet Christ in the air, will be secret for it will be unknown to the world of unbelievers at the time of its happening. You're not going to know about it if you're not a believer. Now, if you're a believer, you'll go with Jesus, but everybody else will just sort of be lost and in the dark. The effect of this removal in the absence of multitudes of people will, be, of course, be evident on earth. Then second, after a period of seven years of tribulation on earth, Christ will return to the earth with his, with his church, the saints who were raptured, and he will be victorious over his enemies and will reign on the earth for a thousand years with his saints, the church. Let's go back. And let's just remind ourselves of what the Bible teaches about the coming of the Lord. Christ is coming again. It's going to be audible and visible. These quotes we've said, it said it's not going to be audible and visible to those who are not believers. There will be no warning. It will involve the whole world. They're saying it's going to involve some. The dead will be raised, both righteous and unrighteous. This is said that the righteous are going to be raised. The world will be judged. There's no, there's no discussion about the world being judged here, is there? Just the righteous going to be with Christ. That doesn't happen in the view of the rapture that's being taught. Death will be conquered. No, death won't be conquered. There's still going to be living people on the earth who are going to continue to die after Christ comes in the rapture teaching. And the world will be destroyed. No, the world's going to continue because there's going to be cars that are going to be careening out of control. There are going to be women crying because their baby is not in their crib anymore. The world is not going to be destroyed in the teaching of the rapture. And so the rapture is not a scriptural teaching. We can compare it with what we know the scriptures teach, and we can throw it out and say it obviously is not scriptural. And so, what should we do? Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 tells us what we should do. But if even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so say I now again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. The rapture simply is not taught in the Bible. This is a false doctrine created by men. And it is as many false doctrines are that we've talked about recently. When people say it loud enough and long enough and on television enough, people begin to believe it. But we need to go back to our standard, the scriptures, for everything that we believe and any doctrine that we accept, make sure it aligns with what the scriptures teach. And we need to be grounded on that. And we'll not be swayed by every uh, cunning craftiness of men. We'll be founded on the word of God. There's not going to be a rapture. But there is going to be a second coming. The question for you tonight is, are you ready for the second coming? 
There's not going to be a warning. Christ could come at any time. And that might cause fear in you. I want to tell you, if you're right with God, the second coming of Christ should be the best news that you could have. In fact, if Christ were to come before we make it home tonight, if we're right with God, that is the absolute best thing that could happen to us. There's no fear in Christ's second coming if we're right with God. But if that causes you to have a little funny feeling in your stomach, that Christ might come back before you get home tonight, you can fix that. You can fix that before you get home tonight. Can we help you get right with God? If you can't, we can. We let us know while we stand and sing.